Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 8 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of our ushers will get you a Bible. And I think what they would always say is, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home. Um, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. First um, Peter 5, 6 through 8 is, is really just these three simple verses, I think, reveal some profound complexities of our hearts, but some amazing truths about the strength of our God. I started working on this sermon before we actually even moved from Muskoka. Uh, the Lord was giving me some specific things about these verses that, that were ministering to me personally, which means when something's ministering to me personally, it's going to make its way into the counseling room. And so some of the analogies um, that you'll even hear today, if, if you were around me there towards the end, chances are you've heard them because the Lord was working this in my heart then. And since then, I've had the opportunity to put it all together and share it with a couple different conversations. And so I am deeply humbled and honored to be able to share this with you as the Lord really burdened my heart um, in my life with these verses. So let me read these verses and then we're just gonna go verse by verse and break them down. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so the, the, the first point today is, 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 is right out of the gate. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What does humility before the Lord look like? And in the way that Peter has written this, and the context of 1 Peter is this. It's the church that he's speaking to, the believers that he is speaking to, are under an immense amount of pressure. Um, in, in chapter one, it's called trials of various kinds. And he does that intentionally so that nobody can kind of compare their sufferings and their trials against other people because God uses all suffering, all trials, whether they're self-inflicted, whether they're brought on because of persecution, whether they're brought on because Satan is attacking, whether they're brought on because we live in a fallen world, these things press against us. And he's been building on this theme, how God uses trial. And here he is wrapping up this, these words to these Christians, and he right out of the gate says, humble yourselves. And the, 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 the picture of how he's saying this is not, it's not an attitude. It's not like one day you wake up and you say, I think I'm going to be humble today. What he's talking about here is a heart posture, which means morning after morning, day after day, the reality of this heart posture recognizes he's God, I'm not and has spoken those words and prayed those words and pleaded those words. This is a heart posture. And we see this and he says, humble yourselves. He's calling them to a lifestyle that represents a heart submitted to God. Humble yourselves. It's to come under. It's to lower oneself. And, and let's just, if we're just gonna be honest, and, and you know me, I love to be honest, right? And this is no place to be honest. I realize church is a place where we put our masks on, but let's just be honest for a second. Our natural inclination is to come under no one. Right? We don't want to submit. And yet I think we would all agree that there's very few people on earth that don't actually have a boss they report to. And even if you're that one guy who owns his company and, and everybody comes and reports to you, you still had a boss at some point, chances are, and, and even if you never did, you still had parents at some point you had to submit to. 
And then what I would trump over all that is we're all under the government and they can do whatever they want to us. Democracy. Like we're wired and created by God to actually come under, but everything in our natural heart bent is to not. And so he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. This phrase, mighty hand of God, circle it. It's the only time in the New Testament this phrase is used. And it's speaking back And if you do a word study on this phrase in the Old Testament, it's permeated through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is saturated with this phrase, specifically around the Exodus. So if you're you're new to church or you haven't heard the story, the Exodus is this. God's people, Israel, they were in captivity in Egypt, and the Egyptians were brutal people. Um, They were were, um, abusing the Israelites, God's people, and God's people begged the Lord. They pleaded with the Lord, free us. Free us, free us. And as they were in slavery, more and more oppression came to them. And then if you've heard of Moses, this is where Moses enters the story because God hears their prayers. He sends Moses, who's the least likely to lead a group of people out of captivity. And then miracle after miracle, he parts the Red Sea, plague after plague, and it's always under the mighty hand of God. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You could reverse engineer it and say it this way. Anybody in here ever part the Red Sea? His mighty hand did. Anybody ever here deliver themselves from captivity? His mighty hand did. You see it? He's drawing them to a deep reality, a deep truth that, that as our hearts are redeemed, like, love this truth. But the old man, the old woman, the flesh, stiff arms this truth, resists this truth, does not want to submit to this truth, yet there's grace, there's life, there's freedom there. So as these things come together, the humble yourselves in the mighty hand, it's a picture of coming under his matchless, mighty sovereignty. It's to say simply, and my kids say this better than me, he's God and I'm not. And and the biblical definition for the fear of the Lord is that in essence. He's God and I'm not. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, um, you you know, like, and this is an example I've used in counseling for years. Um, You know, you've been swimming in a swimming pool. I may have used it as a sermon illustration before, but like you push the ball under the water. The deeper you go with the ball in the water, what's the ball want to do? It wants to shoot to the surface, right? Because the buoyancy of the ball does not want to go into the density of the water as it gets deeper. The law of physics want to throw it and propel it out. And if you let go, it fires straight up in the air. That's the picture of our flesh. We don't want to be under. We resist. We squirm just like that ball. So to step into the domain of God's glory. So here's the picture that's being created He's talking about the glory of God, the mighty hand of God, the one who delivered Israel from captivity, the one who allowed them to walk on dry land through the Red Sea, the one who fed them supernaturally with manna and quail, the one who led them those 40 years in the wilderness and took them into the promised land. He is God, we're not. His glory is for himself. We can't handle his glory. So here's, this is the scary, the scary reality that's being drawn out of this text. If we choose to not humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we're choosing to put ourselves up next to God and we're asking for glory that we can't handle. So over the years I've had, I've counseled pro athletes multiple times. 
um, just they have achieved the ultimate of their success. And they have played a game for, for money, lots of money. Golfers, uh, pro baseball players, I've, I've counseled some NFL guys, and these are guys who were at the top of their game, and people would fill a stadium, and they would scream accolades about them. They would yell, can I have your autograph? And we went to a minor league baseball game a couple days ago, and my kids stood as the players were walking around getting autographs, and, and you would have thought they met Jesus. I mean, they were just blown away that they're, these are minor leaguers. Some of them aren't even going to go to the pros. And yet there's something in us that, that's enamored by this, this glory. And, and all of these pro athletes that I've had the privilege to counsel have all fallen into great sin because the glory esteemed to them, guess what? Their human hearts couldn't handle it. And they made foolish decisions as a result. We can't house or handle God's glory. So when you choose not to humble yourself by default, when you choose not to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you're putting yourself next to God. And my question to you, brother and sister, is you want to be side by side with God as if, as if you're one to even approach him? Can you handle his glory? Can you house it? We can't. Because glory comes my way, and I get bigger. This is what we say in Texas. I get too big for my britches. And I end up making foolish decisions and make a wreck of my life. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. And then he moves on. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. This is a beautiful truth because it's not that God doesn't want us to be exalted. He wants to exalt us to the rightful place according to his will where we're sheltered and cared for and understand our meaning, our worth, and our value in light of the gospel. If I seek that dignity on my own, my heart corrupts it. Because now I'll need to be esteemed from something horizontal to find that sense of worth and dignity. When he says, humble yourselves under his mighty hand, then he will exalt you. So it's not that God looks down to us as the scum of the earth. He redeems us. He redeems us. And he gives us a ring. He calls us sons and daughters. There's great value to be had as God redeems with the gospel because then he's the one doing the exalting. When I do exalting in my own heart, it always goes wrong, always. And then you find yourself making decisions you never thought you would do. You find yourself in positions compromised in ways you never thought possible. And Peter's pleading here so that he may exalt you. And then he, this reveals really the, the first form of pride. The, and I'm gonna draw out three forms of pride from this text. The, the first one is this, that casting our cares somewhere other than God is to put ourselves in a place of self-exaltation. By default, our hearts assume self-sovereignty, which sets us up for self-exaltation. Write this, uh, this passage down, Daniel 4. Look it up later this week. Um, Daniel 4 talks about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world in his time, and his kingdom was legit. I mean, this guy had a significant kingdom in the modern world at that time, and there's this picture that's, that's really articulated well in Daniel 4 where, where it's like Nebuchadnezzar's like standing on his balcony that overlooks the kingdom, and he looks at the kingdom and he says, look what I've built. <laughs> Sounds a bit like a narcissist, huh? 
Look what I've built. And the scriptures say God struck him crazy to the point where he's in the field eating grass like a, like a, like a beast. You see what he's done? Nebuchadnezzar houses the glory that only God can. He sees himself higher than he should and it drives him mad. This is it. This is not a small thing. And you, some of you might say, well, I'll never be in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes because I'll never be that powerful or rich. But in the subtle areas of our life, we do the same thing. We put ourselves in position where God alone can be. And if it goes well, we love to pat ourselves on the back. What are you doing? You're receiving glory that's meant for him. And slowly but surely, that pride creeps in because you're not under his mighty hand. In verse 7, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this picture of casting, casting literally means to throw, to throw something upon someone or something else and anxieties, it's a care, a concern, or worry that is very troubling, okay? So here's the thing about anxieties, and I love how Peter's normalizing anxieties. He's, he's not rebuking people that have anxiety, okay? So if you've ever done that, you should stop doing that because anxieties are a normal thing in a fallen world. What he's saying is that the cares of the world will come. Anybody wake up with some new ones this morning? By the end of the day, you'll have some new ones, I can assure you. You're on the clock. Life happens, right? Cares and concerns come and they flood our hearts. We live in a fallen world and these cares are normative, they're regular. But here's, the, I think, the most, the scariest thing that Peter's saying. It's the way that he writes it. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What he is saying is that your heart is not in neutral when it comes to casting. Here's what I mean. Something hits you, some adversity, some trial, some concern, some care, some anxiety hits you. It floods your life. It floods your heart. Your heart is not in neutral, Peter's saying. You're going to deal with that care somehow. You're going to cast it somewhere. You're never in neutral here, okay? Do you hear me? I need some acknowledgement. Like, this is important. Everyone in this room is doing some casting. So cares are going to come. They've come this morning. They'll come today. Anxieties will build in our lives, and you cast them somewhere. So, let me ask you a question. Go back to verse six, the picture of coming under the mighty hand of God who parted the Red Sea. Here's the question to us. When I do some casting, am I casting it to a place that can part the Red Sea? It, that, that's indicting, isn't it? To think of it that way, in those terms. Because only one God has ever parted the Red Sea and freed a people from slavery, which is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, redeeming a people from um, slavery to sin into life through him. Only God can deliver from bondage is the picture. So where you cast your anxieties, can they part the Red Sea? Can they deliver you from the penalties of death and sin? Can they sanctify you? No, they can't. And oh, but, but do we? <laughs> Like, do we early and often feel a threat press in? And we're so quick to go sideways, are we not? We're so quick to look for the horizontal remedy, are we not? 
and our heart is doing the very thing that Peter's warning, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Satan is described in scripture as the prince of the power of the air, which means he's more powerful than you and I. And which means he's been given domain on this earth to do a lot of wicked things with a lot of power. So when you do things horizontally, unbeknownst to you, you're actually operating under the prince of the power of the air. And can I just tell you, Satan hates you. And he wants you to be entangled in horizontal remedies. He wants you to find like a a sense of peace from some other mighty hand that can't actually deliver you from your cares and anxieties. We find horizontal saviors is what Peter's saying. If your heart's not casting under his mighty hand, you will cast them somewhere. So let me read this. If you are not humble, you won't cast your cares on the Lord. So again, the way that he's describing humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, if your heart's casting somewhere else, you're not a humble person. And, And here's what God does to break us down, to bring us under his mighty hand. Sometimes he humiliates us to bring us to a low place so that we can refix our hearts and our lives under him. But it's still his grace. It's still his mercy. Because his covering, his care, his salvation, there is none that matches it. So cast, it's another way of saying entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator. It's a picture of what Jesus says it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. So Matthew 18, 4 talks about a childlikeness where this child, children, we learn this early and often from them. Children early and often recognize their need outside themselves. You don't hear many four-year-olds saying, I better go get a job and start my retirement. That doesn't happen. And if they're in that position, some really bad things have happened to them. They've been neglected severely. Like there's this beautiful picture of childlikeness that Jesus describes in Matthew 18, and this is what Peter's referring to. He's calling us back to childlikeness, not childishness. Childlikeness, utter need and dependency. He's all I've got. He's all I've got. And I think we're we're in danger in the West because we have so many things, we have so many trinkets, we have so many things that we can collect around ourselves because even the impoverished people in our cultures are wealthy compared to third world countries, okay? Like what we have in the West is easy access to lots of stuff that just might dull our senses enough to never cast our cares where they were intended to be cast. And we're numbed because of it, we're blinded, because of it? He's quoting Psalm 55, 22. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So that the two ideas coming together in verse seven are this, that he means that these burdens of life will be there and need carrying, but strength from the Lord is available. This should bring great peace to your soul because if you're in a season of difficulty and anxieties are flooding you, You know what that means? God's presence hasn't left you. That the very cares and concerns that you shoulder, God's right there saying, bring them to me. Bring them to me, sweet son. Bring them to me, daughter. But he's also challenging the fact that the humble early and often bring their cares and concerns to the Lord. Um, A couple days ago, I'd kind of forgotten about this, but... Um, I, I think I've told you guys stories about my grandparents. My grandparents on my dad's side, like they were the ones who kind of drew a line in the sand for us when it comes to following Christ because the people before them were bad people, like should go to prison type people. 
Um, and my granddad and grandmother, they get married. They were a train wreck <laughs> in need of some serious marital counseling probably because of the baggage that they set. They brought into the marriage from the sins of their brothers and sisters and parents. And, and so they bring all this baggage into a marriage that's never seen the gospel modeled. And they're both new converts. When my grandfather died, my grandmother died first. When my grandfather died, we, we went into his room, and I don't remember spending much time in my grandparents' room. But by their bed, they had never gotten new carpet. There were two sets of knee prints. My son reminded me about that. He said, remember those knee prints in the carpet? You know what he's saying here? He's saying pray about everything. Quick to pray, slow to figure out. That's the reason they made it. They begged the Lord. I don't know how to be a father, God. I don't know how to be a husband. All I've seen is drunks. And they're on their knees pleading. There's no better place to cast your cares to a God who cares, who parted the Red Sea to make a way for you, for me, to have life, and yet everything in us, we don't want to submit. We don't want to come under. It's our pride. So here you see the second form of pride. Here's the second form of pride that comes out here. It's if we are not neutral in where we cast our anxieties, it means casting them somewhere other than the Father is to pridefully draw in a false remedy. This is indicting for us. And this is what he's drawing out in the text, that your heart's not a neutral. You're going to take those cares somewhere. And, and, and the thing is, like some of those places where we throw our anxieties, they work. This is how people become addicts. Makes sense, right? People become addicts to things because as they learn to kind of throw their cares off and let, let the alcohol wash over them, let the drugs wash over them, it numbs them. They don't have to feel so the weight of the world is lifted by a chemical. It works for 30 minutes at a time. And then, oh, now you're physiologically addicted to it? You see what's happened? The cares of the world have flooded them. They've had nowhere to go, so they've cast their cares here, and in so doing, they're now in bondage. That's an extreme picture of what we all do. For some of us, it's our job. It's, it's the worth and dignity I find in life is from how I'm recognized at work. And so I'm able to find a sense of peace from the cares of the world by how people esteem me. That's misplaced casting of cares. So th this, is, this is how I'm wanting the Lord to sift our hearts. The question should be, where do I cast my cares if not the Lord? So there's this picture that Peter's building. There's a care that comes in. It floods our heart. Early and often as cares, which are normal, they're normal, guys. You're not a weird sinner if you have cares in your life. You're not. They hit us. They flood our souls. The opportunity is to draw near to God, humble yourselves under his mighty hand, and you actually get more of Jesus in the process. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Cares are normative. We can draw near to Christ, come under his mighty hand. He cares for us, and then he actually makes us more like Jesus. Bam, sanctification's happening. But what do we do? Cares flood our hearts. We try to deal with it ourselves. We try to fix things over here. We try to make a plan over here. The longer that care 
floods our soul, it becomes a concern, and as it becomes a concern, it becomes a distress. As it becomes distressful, it becomes a worry. As it becomes worrisome, full-on anxiety is riddling through our body. And at any point in this series of care to concern, to distress, to worry, to fear, at any point, he's near. He's right there. And I've seen this, I think in the extreme ways that I've seen it is, is um, men, men and women who may have been under significant abuse growing up. Um, I mean, I did, I did two counseling intensives over the last two weeks and both of them had sick, horrific abuse that just the most, think of the worst possible story and that's these two. From a young age. Do you know the wounds that creates in a person? And those wounds, they didn't ask, they didn't ask for those wounds. Okay? They didn't ask for them. They were inflicted on them. But they've learned, if not early and often with Christ, they've learned to deal with those wounds and future threats in the best way they know how. And in so doing, they're like a scared, abused animal in the corner looking for threats everywhere. It's called hypersensitivity. So they've gone from being neglected, run over, to I'm going to protect myself now. I've all I've, I'm all I've got. That's an extreme picture of what we do. We sense a care coming. We sense a concern coming. We brace ourselves in our flesh, and we miss the opportunity to come under his mighty hand. So casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is a very vivid picture that Peter's using. This sober-mindedness, he's talking about spiritual alertness, and it's an antonym for the state of mind caused by drunkenness. So he's using the picture of intoxication to draw like a very clear image of what God's called us to. So you ever heard the phrase liquid courage? Yeah, and what they're talking about is the drunk guy in a bar who gets up the courage after a couple beers to go talk to the woman that he thinks is attractive. Here's what happens when our pride is involved and we're not consistently casting our cares under the mighty hand of God. We get tunnel vision. So just like that dummy who's, who's a bit inebriated, he sees the woman and he's got tunnel vision and he's walking over to have the conversation. But because he's so fixated and focused on her, he doesn't realize this flies down. This is what pride does to us. It makes us hyper-focused on one thing and we lose our panoramic view. We lose it. We become single-minded and focused on one thing because that one thing is what I need to deliver me from these cares and concerns. I need it. I gotta have it. And, and yet, here it is. There's this big blind spot all the way around us. Let's see what happens when that blind spot's there. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. So here's the picture. We're blinded by our pride because we cast our cares and anxieties horizontally. And the big, massive blind spot, there's a huge lion waiting to devour, and we don't have a clue. And it's right there. We can't see it. You know why? Because we have no spiritual alertness. We're drunk in the flesh. We're drunk in our pride, and we do not see the hope of the gospel. 
We're so fixated on solving this angst, this care that's flooding my heart. I've got to solve it now. We've not humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God and so doing created a massive blind spot and Satan's waiting. So I love, um, I love nature documentaries. I love to pull them up on YouTube. I'll watch them on BBC. I, I mean, I just think they're fascinating, especially with all these high-def cameras they've got now. You, you can really see so many amazing things about how God's created um, all of creation. But I saw this one documentary on, on a pride of lions, okay? And they, this, this, this group of photographers and um, uh, this really a, an entire cast, they followed this pride of lions and, um, all over this, uh, this uh, desert in Africa. And so they were studying how they hunted. So they had cameras strategically placed all over the, the, the grazing lands where these gazelles and these buffalo were grazing. And the, the, the lionesses do the hunting because I guess the men are dead weight. So the lionesses do all the hunting. And so you watched their strategy, okay? You would see one lioness run to scatter the herd one way where another lioness was waiting. She's waiting. They don't even know. The dumb animals don't know. And they run, and then that lioness pounces and chases them, not even trying to kill yet. Like restraint, not trying to kill yet. Pounces, and then they run another direction where another one's waiting. And then that one scatters them again, and by the time they've scattered four times or so, there's some stragglers that they go and kill. That's what Satan does to us in our pride. We're tunnel-visioned. We haven't cast our cares and we're blind and he's waiting to pounce. When he sees you isolated, when he sees you alone because you've elevated yourself to a place of dealing with your own cares that only God truly can, he sees that's easy picking. That's a free meal. You think he ponders if he's gonna take you down or not? Yeah, not today. You know, I've, I've, I've been hitting Lee up a lot lately, so I'm gonna let him be on this round. Mm -mm. Like, he's always ready to devour. And this leads us to our third form of pride. As we lean on our own understanding, on our own strength and understanding, in casting anxieties horizontally, we become autonomously isolated, either knowingly or unknowingly. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says it this way, Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Brothers and sisters, like, if this is the extent of your involvement in the church, right here, this is important. Sunday mornings, let the redeemed come together, but if this is the extent and you're not known by another brother, you're not known by another sister, you're not walking in biblical community, you are setting yourself up for unbelievable sorrow down the road. This is what Peter's saying. Sorrow from foolish decisions we make. Sorrow from Satan attacking because we're isolated. And it doesn't sound prideful, but it's prideful. God's called us into each other's lives. So when we choose to isolate, that's, that's us in our hearts saying, I'll figure it out myself, God. I don't need accountability. Do you hear the arrogance? You know, I, the older I get, and I turned 40 in December, like, and I remember when my dad turned 40, I thought that was so old. I don't feel old yet, okay? So I'm not gonna go there where I did when I was a youngster. But like, like as, as I grow older, I see how, 
how important it is for me to have brothers around me who speak into my life. Brothers around me that I can text and say, man, I'm struggling today. I'm pressing into the Lord. Would you pray with me? That's a gift from God to me, that he's not left us alone. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. He's given us one another so that we're not drawn into this trap, so that we early and often cast our cares on the Lord. So how do we draw near? How do we cast our cares on the Lord? How do we come under his mighty hand? First, we seek to give glory to God in all things. This under his mighty hand, what we talked about it being used in Exodus, none of the Israelites, as they're coming through the Red Sea, are claiming that glory, I can assure you. You ever had such an amazing encounter with God and you've seen his glory and you feel about that big, but it was the best place in the world to be and you knew it? I think if early and often when accolades come our way, when positive things come our way, we're like, praise the Lord. I mean, you ever been around that guy who says, praise the Lord for everything? You kind of get annoyed with him. Just take some credit for once, dummy. Like, no, don't. Don't take any credit ever. Like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, he sustains. And that's why I've been so overwhelmed here. Because God brought us here as a family to heal us. Like, this is a place of redemption for me. And I don't equate it to people. I don't equate it to hard winners. For sure not. I don't equate it to this church. I equate it to his mighty hand. This is the call, brother and sister. He's given us this. He's given us this great glory under his son. Why would we ever try to take that for our own? So we draw near by giving him glory in all things. You see this with Job. Remember when Job loses everything? What's his first response? You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what he's doing? Glory in all things, Lord. The good, the hard, the sorrows, glory to you. It seems so simple and elementary, but it's the difference between humility and pride. Second, repent where the Lord reveals horizontal remedies for peace. I'm like my prayer coming into this, like has been like, Lord, would you just shatter horizontal remedies? Shatter them today, Lord. I, I pray we would leave differently seeing where we've cast our cares. They don't work. They don't work. No relationship, no new opportunity, no change of circumstances can deliver the care that comes from our God. So cast your anxieties. Repent early and often of horizontal remedies. Number three, be known. Like be known. Like the last four weeks of my life, I've seen some unbelievable brokenness come to light because of deep deception. That, that touches lots and lots of people. And it's once again reminded me how important it is for me to be known. You know why? Because my flesh is wicked and deceitful above all things. I will convince myself of all kinds of things to do, thinking it's right, the whole time deceiving myself from the truth. I need a brother to say, Lee, what are you doing, bro? Hey, get back in line. Like if you've isolated, if you've isolated your easy target for Satan, come back in to the full. Come back in to the grace of God. 
I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna kind of close with a story here. Um, at the beginning of the summer, um, you know, I, when we left in February, it was, I mean, that was, you know, it didn't snow for like forever there in January. Remember that? We had a bad December and then January, it was like things were melting, like even the snow banks. And then all of a sudden the day we move, like it was like a thousand feet, inches of snow, it felt like. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, it was nuts. We literally, we were supposed to leave Bracebridge by noon. We didn't leave till like six that night. So we finally, we made it to London. We limped into London really late, stayed the night, and then hit it hard from there. And I mean, we just kept those snow tires on the car. I was like, we're just gonna burn these suckers down. <laughs> Let's see how long they last in Texas, right? And they didn't last long, because <laughs> it's already 96 in May. Um, and so, you know, we, I, was, I was, you know, just going to the, to the, uh, to the car dealership to get our, our snows taken off. They didn't even know what snows were, it was funny. Um, to get the snows taken off and then to get our, our normal tires um, put back on. And, and so um, in Texas, really I think in the south, you don't have to like come back after 50 kilometers to get your lug nuts retightened. That you don't have to do that because there's no temperature variation, right? So they never tell you to do that. That was a new thing for us when we got here. So I go get our car, tires changed, and then it, it was just later that day, uh, well, actually the, the, day, the next day, I was driving on the interstate, which you know, you're rolling 75 miles an hour, and I've got my son in the car with me and two of their little buddies, because they had spent the day hanging out. So on the way to drop them off with their parents, like the, the car didn't feel right. I was like, something's not right. And it wasn't too long of a drive from our house. So when I turned around to go back up the other way, the interstate, I was like, dude, I'm just going to pull over at the mechanic and just see what's going on with my car. Well, I didn't make it to the mechanic because the front left car, the front left tire, the lug nuts were all off. And I'm going 75 miles an hour. And, and I can feel it starting to shake. So I, I veer across three lanes of traffic going 75 miles an hour, and I get into a neutral zone where I can just park it. And by the time I get out, the, the, the wheel's cocked over because it's just leaning on the car. And so, I mean, it's like, it's 98 degrees that day. And, and I've got my son with me. And I mean, it was immediately, here's, here's, and here's why I'm using the story, because here's where my heart went. It did a bunch of damage to the wheel well. It destroyed the rim. So I'm starting to like calculate the money. Cha-ching, cha-ching. How am I gonna, how am I gonna pay for this? This is their fault. I know it is. Are they gonna own it? My mind went in a thousand directions in one second and cars are flying by. Somehow I've got to get across the access road just to get to safety till we get our car. I mean, my mind went a thousand directions in a minute and I stayed there. <laughs> like, you see the cares? You see the anxieties? And they're building. They're building. And we finally get across the access road and my son Abel was with me. And he said, this really feels like something we should pray about. Right? You, you hear it? And I was like, you're right, son. So we went into that hotel lobby and we just sat there and we just like, Lord, I can't afford this. Like, like I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Like, you know, money's tight right now. I mean, just I'm going through all the things that were crowding my heart. I'm like, Lord, would you take them? <laughs> Show me to know what to do because I know you're gonna call me to something in this. Help me to be patient and gracious with the mechanic because I'm pretty upset because this could have gone real bad for my family. Like I, I'm, I'm running through the anxieties that are flooding my spirit. I'm saying, they're yours. They're yours. That's what we do, Christ follower. This is what we're called to. 
Cares will come, they will flood your soul, they will wear you out. And you have this loving father that's saying, give them to me, give them to me. And this is our hope. So let's pray. So I'm gonna pray over us and um, I'm just gonna ask the Lord to reveal. I've been asking him that for a couple weeks. I know I'm not your pastor anymore, but like, man, you people mean a lot to me. I think of you often. I pray for you often. I've prayed for you significantly this week, asking that the Lord would free, that he would deliver from false saviors that cannot carry your cares. They will only bring more destruction. So ask the Lord right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask the Lord, what is it, Lord? Where do I cast my cares if not you? Where do I cast my cares if not you? Now give him the glory. Give him the glory in your life. All glory to you, Father. All glory to you. Now repent. Ask for forgiveness where you've gone to a horizontal savior, where you, you've cast your cares horizontally. That could be a person that you've cast your cares to. It could be the prospect, the aspiration of something. If I could just get here, then I'll have fill in the blank. What is it? Repent of it. Come back under his mighty hand. He parted the Red Sea. He delivered a people from slavery. He has saved us through his son. So Father, we, first we just thank you because we are a weak people. Forgive us where we've acted as if we're stronger than we are. We are a weak people desperately in need of your touch, your care, your leading. We want to have that childlike spirit that looks to you early and often. God, we place our hope in you. We bring our cares and our concerns back to you. Forgive us, Father, where we have placed those anxieties on horizontal remedies. There is only one remedy for us, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our anchor. He is our salvation. So we draw near to you, and we come under your mighty hand, knowing that you've made that possible through the death of your son. You've given everything so that we could draw near. So we thank you. We praise you. So as we respond now in worship, would you do a great delivering work? Set the captives free, God. Deliver from the yoke of slavery. Draw us under your mighty hand and help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.